All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. We are continuing on this evening with our Women in Leadership series. We have with us tonight Ruth Lino. She is the Executive Director of South Lane Wheels. And I'm going to begin by reading her bio tonight. Ruth Linos is Executive Director of South Lane Wheels, Inc., a private nonprofit rural public transportation agency based in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Her career started 26 years ago at the age of 34 as an urban bus operator for Lane Transit District before accepting a position in the service planning department. The dynamic inter interdisciplinary work environment built her confidence and developed critical leadership skills as she managed complex projects inter internally and collaborated with community partners. 16 years later, she saw an opportunity to expand her leadership style and employ more of her talents, so she took a leap of faith to run a rural transit agency. Ruth was born in Montana and raised in the Midwest in a family of seven before moving to Southern California during her seventh grade year. She grew up sensitive to the Native American culture because of her father's job, yet this new urban community introduced cultural diversity that was exciting after years of avidly reading National Geographic magazine that fed her curiosity about different cultures, people, and places around the world. Her parents raised her to help her family, work hard, be independent and responsible with integrity, so a new school environment introduced many opportunities to learn and apply leadership skills in the classrooms, on athletic teams, through roles in student body leadership and in academic clubs. Ruth had big plans after high school that included collegiate sports, earning a degree in sports medicine, and then starting a career in family. After her freshman year, she married her high school sweetheart and soon afterwards was pregnant. So she dropped out of school to raise her two daughters in San Jose, California and adjusted her goals. In 1984, Ruth and her husband moved to Eugene, Oregon to advance his career in a community that was more family friendly. Unanticipated challenges along the way became the life lessons necessary for personal growth that continue to guide her connections with diverse people, passion for leadership impact and giving back by mentoring others in, on their journeys. In 1997, she married J.D. and they live in Springfield, Oregon. J.D. has a son and they enjoy, the, they enjoy their five grandchildren. In her free time, Ruth volunteers, serves on organizational boards, loves road trips, and watches movies and is learning to quilt. Rose, Ruth Linos, welcome to Molina Leadership Solutions, ongoing project of women in leadership. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. It's been a busy day and this is a great way to cap it. Now, <clears throat> this is an unusual hour of the day that we normally conduct these interviews that will be converted to podcast. You are the executive director of South Lane Wheels, Inc. And we are in a pandemic and you've had to make some really hard leadership challenges mm. there where you are that have increased your workload, that have increased your requirements there, that we have had to, in this opportunity to interview you, we've had to schedule at this time frame because of those increased responsibilities. And I'd like to talk about that a little, for a few minutes okay. because this is part of your leadership journey and your leadership story about making hard decisions. Oh boy. 
And especially when things came to a crashing halt, when you're a small rural transit agency, you don't have a huge budget with reserves and your revenue stream is based upon who's riding. And when nobody was going anywhere, that stopped our um, ability to earn revenue. And we were close to the end of a fiscal year and you have to spend in the nonprofit world to get reimbursed often on with grants. And so we were at a juncture of, it took a month to find out if we were, if we were shutting our doors down or if we were going to have a life beyond that initial shutdown period. So that was scary because I had to make a quick decision to um, lay off my employees and allow them to take advantage of what was being made available through the CARES program. And I, they hadn't created that PPE uh, abilities and they also didn't have that uh, loan available yet to get your payroll back up. So I was the sole employee for a month and I had to do everything to keep things going because there was hope that if I could bridge that transition period, things would kick in and there could be those opportunities, but it was hard. It was so hard and it was especially emotionally challenging because I knew there were 10 other people who were counting on me to keep things going. So they had a job to come back to. And I also had a very supportive board of directors who were in the trenches with me. They were helping me to uh, make it through all of those decisions. They were um, my, they were my backbone because they weren't saying, okay, Ruth, you saved the day and uh, we'll meet you on the other side, whatever that. They knew how critical things were and they allowed me to keep them informed. And uh, also they advocated for me when there were some important, um, shall we say, negotiations that had to happen to really sell the point that we were a critical organization that needed to stay viable and uh, we couldn't be ignored. And for a while there, we were kind of set to the side as though we somehow had this um, resiliency. And I, that I think for a leader to be able to honestly say, we don't have what you think we have. And it's not a reflection of us being poor managers of our resources. It was, this is the reality. And who planned for it? Nobody. <laughs> and so we needed help and we got help. And so that was a really good time. And it let me show uh, my employees that they were valued because we were in the ring together and they, they were begging me to come back. And that really was encouraging during the pandemic because our services are to the most vulnerable population. 
and they wanted to get out there to serve and they were excited once we knew we can we could come back to operations you know those of us that live in lane county eugene city uh, eugene springfield city limits we have an amazing bus transit system with ltd and it's easy to to consider that any place with a bus transit system, it must be as available, multiple routes, multiple vehicles, multiple drivers, anywhere that there is a transit system. And that's not true. So for those that will hear this tonight, for those of us that haven't lived rurally, that have to rely on an organization yeah. like South Lane Wheels, what is it like out there? How do you get to your clients? What type of clients, what, what are your, as the daily schedule like? So what happens with South Lane Wheels is we're basically what's called a demand response service. We are reservation based and that allows us to manage our resources. We only have six vehicles and we cover all of South Lane County. So that's a lot of travel time. And we also charge a very uh, highly subsidized rate. And we want to make sure we can serve as many people as possible. So we have a reservation policy. People will schedule. And then I have a dispatcher who then assigns a vehicle with a driver. And they end up, depending on what rides we have that day, we send out maybe three buses or we might have four and that's more of the door-to-door -door service and that really meets the needs in the rural community because we there it's too hard to figure out what route is going to be meaningful when you're covering that many square miles and it all it also got introduced into our service model last year, a pilot project. And that was a, an app-based program that people could schedule their rides on their phones or computers. And that worked with a software that, with an algorithm, assigned who was going to be picked up and where they were going to be taken. But that was only within the city limits of Cottage Grove. And so the community was served, and that's a pilot project of Lane Transit District, to experiment with serving our community as a potential model for other parts of the Lane, Lane Transit District um, service areas. So we're in that second year of that program. So that's one type of service. Then there's door-to-door -door service. And then we go up to the metro area as well. And that can mean we could go as far south as Dorena and take someone up to West Eugene. And that that's a 40-minute one-way <laughs> trip. And yet we only charge $15. So it one way. And so we end up providing service for folks who are transit dependent, they don't have a vehicle, or they need um, 
someone to assist them to get into the vehicle. Uh, we don't go into people's homes, but they may need us to walk them to the vehicle. And once we get to their destination, assist them getting inside the building and then um, help them navigate if their schedule is late, then we come back and adjust uh, their pickup time. We might help them with uh, bags that they're taking in and going home with. So we've got uh, different services and we have been in operations for 35, oh gosh, I think it's 36 years now, based out of Cottage Grove. And we're, we plan on being here into the future. What is uh, the geographical mileage that you your primary area of responsibility covers? We go down to the county line and we go as far west as Lorraine and east. We're pretty much going as far as anybody's along the eastern foothills. We go up to Cresswell and uh, that might take us into Pleasant Hill, but not very often because Lane Transit District serves that area. So anywhere in between, if somebody's interested, um, we get it, we go there. <laughs> as long as we can get up their driveway and to their door, we are able to serve them. And that's another, that's a good point. I, I thank you for bringing that up because rural <clears throat> transportation services, there is that consideration. Can we make it to your front door, especially in inclement weather or uh, poor visibility? Is that correct? Pretty much. Uh, we have to safely get in and out. And there's times when we've gone across a culvert that's designed for a standard car. And here's a heavier vehicle and the bridge can kind of move. <laughs> and so we kind of make a note of maybe we'll take our minivan to that location if that's going to properly accommodate the rider. And that's it. We do a great job of fitting our service to the needs of the individual. And we have some vehicles that have a, a higher weight capacity on our lift because of uh, mobility devices have gotten more complex and we just wanna be able to serve that um, individual as well as sometimes we need that minivan to go into those uh, smaller um, access areas. I have uh, some logistical questions because I find this very intriguing regarding your operations, your type of clientele the type of considerations uh, that your organization has to really be contemplative of on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned the, the complexity of the new mobile devices and they are heavier. You have to add these lifts. You have to strap, be able to strap some of them down. I'm sure mm -hmm. the chairs when, when they come in. Now, do your drivers go undergo any uh, driver training, required first aid training, what kind of communication systems do you have mm. on board? Oh, because we're federally funded, 
we're required to, uh, all my drivers have to pass a background check. They are participants in a drug and alcohol random testing. They also are required to have training in um, diversity and customer service. They also are trained how to safely board someone and use the securement system uh, in order to work with so many different styles of mobility devices and people's items. Um, we don't want projectiles uh, heading through the interior if we hit the brakes. So we do a good job of understanding the dynamics of what could happen and uh, transporting an individual. And then our drivers also have to have training in drug and alcohol, just awareness. And they also have some ethics training, uh, mainly when we were working with the Medicaid program and that really requires some uh, appropriate actions when they're working with individuals who qualify. And we also had, um, Oh, I always, it's the um, biohazards, yes, because we're working with individuals going to and from uh, medical facilities, and sometimes they're transported with some uh, health devices that we need to be aware of safety for them as well as for the drivers, and I think uh, driving, defensive driving, they have to have, uh, originally we had larger vehicles, so all of my drivers had a commercial driver's license, which requires a medical card, and those requirements are getting more and more stringent because they want to make sure that people are healthy as they're driving down the road. And we also have um, just the routine of knowing how to safety check the vehicles so that that um, tool that they're driving has everything working up uh, appropriately. And they do that before they get on the road and after they've finished their day. So you're the executive director of South, Wheel Lane, South Lane Wheels, excuse me. This is series as Women in Leadership. And this is a perfect conversation, perfect conversation, great conversation to the demands, the requirements, the expectation. You're talking federal law. You're talking uh, state requirements, Medicaid insurance requirements, making sure that your drivers can handle the new mobility devices, that your vehicles can handle your the new mobility devices, that you send the right vehicle to the right type of client on the right kind of call, ensuring that your drivers have background checks, drug and alcohol free, uh, diversity and customer service training, training in ethics, training in drug and alcohol, how to recognize it on your clientele, <clears throat> trained in biohazards, because those are real things. Those are real. It's, it's, it's not just the equipment, it's the fluids in the equipment or the, the fluids coming out of potentially if there's an if a, if a client is sick or gets uh -huh. sick on the bus, those are biohazards defensive driving the cdl i appreciate what you said about the safety check on the vehicles because that's a tool it's a tool that they use to do 
uh, provide the services to the client to get them to where they need to go. This is a tremendous responsibility, rural transportation. I just did an interview last night where uh, the, the young lady being in interviewed worked for a rural agency initially, and it just piqued my interest about how much we don't know, those of <laughs> us that live in the city limits, about what happens in, in country environments. And I remember playing high school football and some of the, the farm boys, we, we call them farm boys, because <laughs> They, yeah. would, they would drive their tractors up to the fence line to oh. the, the farm fields across from the high school stadium. They would park their tractors and they would jump over the fence uh, to get over to football practice. And after football practice, they would just walk across the highway, oh. jump back over the fence, get on yeah. their tractors and go home. And so we didn't have a bus system in, in the small <laughs> Texas town. So we had, a, we had to walk if you weren't driving, but... <laughs> so as a woman in leadership, I find this very, this is a lot of detail. This is a lot of legality. Uh, this is a lot of expectation on you to make sure yeah. that you are not dropping the ball in any legal area. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. how do you manage ensuring that all of these requirements are maintained? Is it a quarterly inspection? Is it monthly? What do you have to submit reports to the federal government, to the state? Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it it helps that I actually did the job uh, in the for Lane Transit District. I was an urban driver for four and a half years, and I was trained to perform a lot of those procedures. Uh, when you're in a larger transit agency, you don't have to wash your bus. You don't have to necessarily um, check everything like the engine, uh, but you did have to do a pre-trip check for safety uh, elements as you got ready to leave the, the shop. And then you had to check on your way back and there, and there's paperwork. You had to, uh, you were accountable for what you did in that day. And there were procedures and protocols all the time. And if you didn't take it seriously, there were uh, consequences. And it definitely mattered because you were in charge of a, a group of people that were on your bus and out there on the road and around you. So if you didn't take that seriously, you were a risk mm -hmm. and that wasn't going to be tolerated in that environment. And I just learned the value of that. And then when I went into the service planning department, it was my job to help create work that was um, manageable and would allow the drivers to be safe. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did enough of those uh, interactions with the thinking at the administrative level of the what ifs and how can we keep things safer? What are some changes that are coming in the industry that we could implement? So when I came to a rural environment, it was figuring out how to keep those aspects going because uh, what happened for me is I had never been in a man management 
role uh, at Lane Transit District. I was responsible and I did a lot of projects, but I wasn't responsible for a budget. I wasn't hiring and firing people. I didn't have to manage the big picture. And all of a sudden I was, uh, a group of people were willing to take a, a risk on me to take over an agency that was failing. And I had to figure out very quickly how to get it fiscally healthy and to evaluate the condition of the organization because the state had already made it clear that if this um, agency didn't get pages full of out of compliance measures corrected, the, it was at risk of losing funding. And it was under that pressure that I had to look at the policies and procedures and find out what was missing and what needed to be in place and develop some systems. I'm a system person. So this was my natural um, environment to walk into, but I had to learn the people. There was already a culture here and there was already some routines that I had to um, quickly change. And in, in some cases, just prove that this was a better way to do things because uh, I, the last thing I wanted to be was the bad guy with a big stick. Uh, and I wanted everyone to feel like it was a better way to go. And I had to prove that with some of the board members. Uh, they weren't quite sure what I had in mind for changes were the right approaches. So we had this period of probably about six months where I was feeling out what needed to happen. Um, you may wanna know that part of that crisis was we were $120,000 in debt and we were at the beginning of our fiscal year, which means we weren't going to see any money for at least three months. And that was scary. <laughs> that was definitely a, I don't know what to do, but I had help. I had the best support with, from the city finance uh, director and the Lane Transit District stepped in and offered help because we had a relationship. Uh, I was connected to both organizations uh, because one was the community that we worked with and the other one had oversight. And so both parties were there to help. And I had to figure out, I needed to ask and I was so pleased they were willing to help and that, and they came up with creative ways with me to get keep us financially going. And it was hard because when you can't pay your bills and people are counting on you to pay your bills, I don't care for that position, but everybody was working together and we got through that and we started to get momentum. And at the same time, I got help and there was an opportunity through the 
small business center uh, based out of LCC that had a course for how to manage a nonprofit organization. And it was set up in such a way that I didn't have to stop working in order to participate, but it gave me the tools. It gave me the insight because a nonprofit is not like your personal business. And I had been in a business environment where you can call the shots, but as you mentioned, Mark, there's a lot of policies, procedures, uh, requirements, reporting uh, schedules, and somebody else you're reporting to, and you are, you've got eyes on you <laughs> to make sure you're doing things right. And that needed to be um, really built into my approach to everything I did. And it took several years, but we, we got through it. And uh, the nice part is there's a real team spirit at the end of this that I'm not the one shouldering it. We're working at it together. You mentioned changes in the industry, in your industry, rural transportation, the types of changes that come, how consistent or regular are those? Well, they come and they are mainly in line with the pace that the urban uh, and the larger transit agencies are going more technology. And they're also changing the type of vehicles, trying to be more um, fuel efficient as well as different types of fuel. The challenge is how to incorporate that in a rural environment. And, and quite often what I've, it's like, do you have the money? Do you have the resources? And sometimes you have one, but not the other. And in our case, every time I would go to conferences and they would talk about, oh, we have these new types of vehicles and we have ways to use technology, everybody should just sign up for a grant and buy it. And I look around and I think, who's gonna maintain it? <laughs> you know, who in uh, Cottage Grove and in our area has the knowledge to work with that type of computer system or that special device? Uh, who's got the fuel? And so over time, I've seen, um, we haven't been in step because things aren't um, easy to implement. Things have changed recently. Uh, I'm not sure if it was COVID that kind of ballooned it to um, make it possible for us, but we've actually, uh, through this pilot project, been able to finally put technology on our vehicles but somebody else had to pay for it and yet we're hoping that if that proves to be a service model that's worth investing in then we can ask for the money and we hopefully can encourage more of that development within our fleet it's just hard to do it all at once and I'm also a person who I wanna make sure we've got supporting resources that
that aren't halfway across the country uh, when things break down. Well, I appreciate uh, th those observations that you're sharing because that is a significant leadership requirement, that type of vision, that type of planning, those types of considerations, vehicle upgrades, vehicle changes equal fuel types of fuel changes potentially, types of technology changes potentially, who in your geographical region has the ability to even care for it, management, maintain it, diagnose it, and if something does break down, how far would it have to go to get fixed and how long would it be gone? Those, yeah. those are real considerations. So I, I'm, we're going to keep talking about this a while because this is telling this big leadership picture of what you do as the executive director for South Lane Wills. And, and I'm, I'm really, I like to get into weeds on some of these things. This is, where it, this is leadership. This is what it's all about. This is where the rubber meets the road right here. Now you took over a failing agency. It was it was uh, it was at the risk of losing funding. Uh, it was one hundred twenty thousand dollars in debt. You had to come up with SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures, systems. You had to work within the culture and the and the uh, routines that were existing. What was working? What wasn't working? Because you don't want to walk in one day and everyone's quit, and then you're. <laughs> to be concerned about the board members buy-in was everybody on the boat with you rowing in the same direction yeah. uh, 120,000 in debt taking over a failing organization is serious business it is real life when you walk into that as a leader as a woman in leadership as, as a leader walking into that, there's already a lot of questions about whether or not it can be done. As a woman in leadership <laughs> walking into that, I know darn good and well, there's a lot of lot more questions about whether or not you have the skill set, the audacity, and the courage to hang in there and, and turn that around. It was the beginning of the fiscal year. No subsidies for at least three months. <clears throat> but you said something really critical, uh, Ruth, but you got support. You uh -huh. asked for help, you looked for help, people responded, people cared about you, people cared about the organization, they cared about the mission of the organization. And so after getting some local support, close support, working in what was the situation that you were in, not overturning too many tables all at once, everyone started working together the entire organization as a whole gained momentum, you said. Mm -hmm. You were able to take that course at the SBDC on how to manage a nonprofit without losing the necessary leadership time at the office that the organization needed. These are all very real life pictures about what good leaders can do, about what someone who will dare to risk. So I'll ask you this, was this the first time in your professional career that you walked into this kind of situation? Well, I'll clarify that in that I've taken a risk before, uh, but I didn't risk a full-time job. I chose to risk by adding a venture into a consulting business uh, with a partner I met who had the same um desires for leadership development. And I was risking um, spending time doing that 
while I was running a full-time uh, job, I also was risking going into something I hadn't done before uh, with somebody who had experience in the arena of leadership. And I was, I was kind of on her coattails um, being that uh, support for her. So we're, we were a very complimentary team. And we learned a lot with that. And I learned a lot about myself. And that, I think, it was that experience that gave me courage. It gave me confidence about working with professionals in that higher level beyond, above what I was actually working in the office uh, with my full-time job. And I dreamed big. And I also went back to school uh, after that uh, venture in my business because I have to admit, I dive in, find out what I don't know, and then I go and I find out how to know what I need to know. And, and that's kind of the order that it happened. Uh, I, when we dissolved our business, I went back to school. And the degree I took on was a business administration degree. And I learned so much, but my experience running a business now had um, an understanding. It deepened my uh, commitment to the world of business, which similar to working in transportation and being around people, business has just mu as much interest and diversity and um, dynamics that I was excited about because I knew it could be a foundation for building uh, a difference in um, my personal life as well as in the community. So I got my degree and it opened up my eyes to um, strong skill sets and I was ready to take on the world, uh, but nobody else had that dream for me. So I started looking for an opportunity and this one showed up. What was my risk in that is I risked a very secure job. It had great pay, great benefits, and I went into a nonprofit job and that meant a pay cut and no benefits. So, uh, but I had my husband's support and he, he said, Ruth, you go for this because this is what you want to do and we'll, we'll make it work. And that was so inspiring to have that freedom to test this out. It could have totally failed. It could have uh, been all the best efforts and you know, it, the organization might've died, but it didn't. And if anything, I told people, uh, as I explained, why did I take this job and, and um, how hard was it? I said, this was hard, but this was, I was the right person for this job. I had the right uh, skill set. I had the right, um, connections in the community in order to revive this organization. And I had the passion and interest to make it work. 
and I um, love it. And, and it was exactly the job I was looking for because it let me be on all cylinders operating in my strengths and I got to serve my community. I got to work with a great team of people. I just loved coming to work and I was working hard, <laughs> long hours and hard, but I was loving it and I still do. <clears throat> I'm just, I'm taking this all in and I'm completely captivated by the conversation and I'm completely enthralled with your description about your leadership journey, how you began to shift and adjust in your thinking, in the application of life and living based on the business venture, how you learned you could operate differently, operate at a higher level with different types of potential clients based on that venture dissolved the organization, went back to school, continue to educate yourself, continue to prepare yourself based on things you were discovering about who you were and what you were discovering was a true passion. This opportunity comes up. It's a complete mess, and it is. <laughs> and you risked a secure job with great benefits to go for it. You had your husband's support but now you're doing something that you're operating on all cylinders and it's exactly the job that you have been looking for. And I would like to make the observation that within the realm of leadership to fully live the invigoration of leadership, one has to take those risks. One has to be willing to fail and fail out loud and fail in public and fail in front and fail uh, unceremoniously. <laughs> but the other yeah. side of that is learning to operate, as you say, so descriptively co correct, the ability to operate on all cylinders, to be fully engaged in the journey, to be fully engaged in the process, to be 100% applying yourself to the task at hand, knowing not what can fail, but what can succeed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank, thank, thankfully, you have your husband's support when this started. Uh, you know, I'm a new business owner, so I know what that feels like. I have my wife's support. I'm still on a, a <laughs> budget, but I'm still here. And like you, Ruth, in this description of what you just said, I feel like what you said in doing what I'm doing now. I am operating on all cylinders. I am fully engaged. My senses are engaged. It's been hard. It's been tough. It's had difficult moments. I've had to learn a whole lot of new things. But I also know at the tender age of 56, <laughs> who I am now more, you know, uh, in the last seven years, eight years, what was it? I got my bachelor's and my master's, started my bachelor's at 52, whatever it was, my bachelor's, and then started my master's at or I started my master's at 53 or 54. And we're getting better as leaders. We're learning. And this is exactly what's happening to you. And you have this incredible position. South Lane Wheels is now a thriving organization. You, you, you overcame all of the things you mentioned. We go into a global pandemic. Let's talk a little bit about the leadership mindset you knew you had to have 
You, you already admitted it was scary and it was tough, but what other leadership encouragement did you give to yourself on how to get through it? Well, I, my main source of confidence comes from my faith in God. And I had to step into that very solidly because I knew I didn't have control and there were so many things that were happening that were unplanned. I'm, I'm a planner <laughs> and I had to let go. I had to let go and trust and there, and that it would be okay. And my landing in that confident spot and able to communicate that to my staff and to those around me helped settle them. And they knew that it, and because I do that all the time and that I, I come from a very calm uh, confidence and I, and I step in and do as needed and I allow others to operate in their skill set to, so that everybody feels they're going to grow and move forward. I, I don't worry. I think that uh, I express concern. I will talk about risks, uh, but I don't, I don't waste my time with worry. It, uh, I'm, all I'm more focused on let's get a solution. And if there isn't something we can do, I would rather come to a decision to stop doing something and let's put our energies into something else. So there's, with the pandemic, I didn't want to start chasing everything that came out. Um, you should be doing this and why, why don't you do uh, uh, what I know uh, what our community needs. And for most of what was happening is they just wanted us to stay in existence. And so whatever I could do to keep us as an organization that could open its doors, could expand its operations to respond to the community's needs, that was the goal. And if I needed to um, kind of slow down what our um, dreams were, I, we just aligned with what needed to happen now. And I think it's positioned us for uh, what surprised us, which was a lot of funding. <laughs> All of a sudden the federal government was um, wanting to secure our existence with grant funding, um, almost like a flood. It was overwhelming how much all of a sudden was being offered. And it was mainly to make sure we stayed alive. And that was great to experience. It settled things so that at organizationally we knew we had a future. And now we're in the uh, we're in a process. The city of Cottage Grove is working on a transit development plan that we received funding for before the pandemic, 
in order to look at our future. What does this area need and how can we respond to that? So it's exciting to not be stuck in that uh, quandary of what should we be doing and how should we be doing it, but we can actually be thinking and putting our energy into, let's be prepared for the next step. I'm writing notes on what you just said. Putting energy and thinking as to what can be the next step. It's important, you said, you maintain your confidence with your faith in God. You had to let go. You're a planner and you couldn't plan. So you had to be willing to land where you would. Because mm -hmm. you had to have faith that you would land in the right place. Your leadership style is you tend to be confident and calm. You don't worry. You express concerns and you talk about risks but you focus on solutions. You know what your community needs are. The community wanted you to be in existence. <laughs> and so you knew that the elements of relationship and service were there. You had to slow down your dreams and align yourself with what was what needed to happen now. And by allowing things to unfold as organically as they could. Now the federal government stepped in offering grants to keep you open, to keep you running, to meet the needs of your customers, your clients. And now the city of Cottage Grove is putting things together to help you be sustainable in, in the long term. And now you're able to put your energy into, into the things that you need to be thinking about and the things mm -hmm. that you need to be planning on. That right there is a whole chapter of a book. <laughs> that right there is a whole chapter of a book on leadership. Well, I think I've experienced it in all, and that's what's been exciting is it's been a full, full range experience. Um, I, uh, I didn't start out uh, confident. I, uh, what was interesting for me is I was a, a great achiever in, in high school and through school. And I, I, was, I felt I was on this trajectory to great things. And uh, I was surprised uh, to become pregnant after I married my high school sweetheart. And that changed, we made a decision for me to stay home. So I dropped out of college and I became a stay-at-home mom for about 10 years. And that wasn't a waste of time. I was learning a lot of skills around management and uh, working with uh, two very different personalities in my daughters. And I, I thrived. I was enjoying. I wasn't uh, regretting not being in school, but there came a point in time when they went back to school that I wanted to uh, make myself marketable for a job because um, you just don't often get much uh, <laughs> without it. So I went back to school at Lane Community College. That was good for me because I have to say as a stay-at-home mom, I was quite dismissed 
as a person to contribute in conversations, as a person who uh, was capable in some scenarios. And I found that very frustrating. And I, um, in my immaturity, I listened to it when I shouldn't have. And so my self-esteem, you know, took a dive for a period of time. But when I went back to, to college, and I'll, I'll just say the best environment of Lane Community College was the diversity of age groups. So being an older student, I really enjoyed the, the, the younger students as well as other adults in the conversations and the smaller classrooms. And I, I reconnected with myself because I was learning, I was achieving, and it kept me engaged for four years because I did it part-time while my children were in school. And that, and I had the fun job of working at the U of O bookstore uh, every term, which if that's not the most dynamic location in town, I don't know what is. And that connection with the community and with my own um, uh, intellectual growth was, was great. And then I got into, I was still working your basic jobs, but I needed to get into a career path. Uh, so what happened for me was I took a chance on a job I never would have seen myself doing, which was driving a city bus. Yeah, <laughs> it was not mm -mm, nowhere on my radar. But what inspired me, I had been frustrated with the retail jobs because I saw good, hardworking people not being treated well and the whole dynamic was, was not healthy. And I thought, I got to get out of this rat race. But I loved working with people um, in the customer service part of things. So I was intrigued when Lane Transit District put out an ad uh, and for their drivers that said, if you have good driving skills, you're teachable, and you like people, please apply. And I, I said, you mean I don't have to be a truck driver and I don't have to have had a commercial license? And they just said you had to be willing to get a commercial license um, once you were hired. So I said, sounds good to me. <laughs> and at that time, I was also looking at a financial planning career. I, I knew at the age of 34, I was, I was gonna really have a hard time getting the type of income I needed starting at the bottom uh, entry level positions. So I was looking at careers that could give me uh, more pay for my experience and my skills. And they were usually in sales and <laughs> um, some type of commission based. And the one that intrigued me was financial planning. So I became a bus driver because it was part-time, but it paid better than uh, retail. 
and it gave benefits and I could do the training for uh, the financial planning. So that was kind of my game plan initially was to get myself uh, stabilized, but develop a career. Then I fell in, um, I took a part-time position in the planning department because they were transitioning software and their um, organization and they wanted a temporary person in place. So I applied and I, I got it against somebody who had been doing the role for a long time. And I was surprised, but it was the best thing because it got me into an experience with technology and I was a newbie. I didn't know it, but they were willing to teach me. And I also was responsible for planning projects. And they went totally on my uh, past history of taking care of kids, working in kids sports <laughs> as a basis for taking care of community transportation shuttle service. So I started planning the U of O duck shuttles, the Lane Community, uh, sorry, the Lane um, Oregon Country Fair and the Lane County Fair shuttles. And each one of those were building blocks on learning how to work with uh, different skill sets, different departments, different community agencies. I was in heaven because this really tapped into my organizational skills and it challenged me to um, build a system. And each time I worked on a different project, I was building systems because what was in place before was okay, but not satisfactory and wasn't very effective. And one example I'll give, if that's okay, is I was my first season of doing the U of O duck shuttles. The boarding area was facing um, Martin Luther King Boulevard. And it was in this asphalt area and the buses would pull in and it was mayhem. I mean, that you couldn't tell where there was a line for which bus and, um, and you couldn't, and it was a hazard because the buses could be rolling and people not paying up. I mean, I was just going, are you kidding me? But my input on making changes was met with, well, we've always done it this way. And that, you know, this is all right. And so it took taking the general manager up on the roof of the press, let's see, not the, which box is that that's on faces the north? Anyway, we were on the roof of that, looking down on the boarding area. And I, I, I said to him, what do you see? <laughs> and, and he says, wow, this is pretty, mm, this is pretty bad. And I said, well, watch, watch what happens when the buses are moving. And he's, I said, look at that hazard over there. There's people crossing the street who are about to get hit by a bus. 
and buses can't move because that's happening. And so I, I was pointing out all these, these issues and he was, he was just going and, oh, wow, there's a problem. I said, will you let me? And then I just listed the things I wanted to put in place. And he said, yep, work on that. And from there, I was allowed to really make some radical changes. And that's kind of my thing. And that's what I've, I learned over time in that environment as a service planner was it was okay to improve things. It was okay to go for efficiency. It was okay to analyze and um, introduce new elements and test them out and see what happens. And I loved it. It was, it was great fun. You talked about a full range of experiences, and I think it's important for your leadership journey, especially your leadership journey as a woman, to just repeat some of the things that you said. You were you were a stay-at-home mom. You loved it. You learned a lot. You learned a lot about management, guiding, leading your, your daughters, two different personalities. You thrived. You said you were thriving during that time. Mm-hmm. But then when you wanted to do some other things professionally, having been a stay-at-home mom you were you were dismissed quite often (laughs) and that affected your self-esteem and for those listen i know there's a lot of people that haven't had had to confront maybe or contend with gender issues or i know that they're real i saw my mother go through that you know especially after our father died and we were, I say this all the time, but it's true. We were poor, we were Hispanic, and she was a widow in 1971. Mm. And those are not good characteristics for any woman with seven kids trying to work four jobs to keep yeah. her family yeah. fed. So I know those things. She was dismissed all the time. So that affected your dismissiveness. That dismissiveness affected your self-esteem. You had to find ways to recover. It took you some time. But you went to LCC part-time for four years while your kids were young. And it was good for you. The different age groups, the different dynamics, uh, the dynamics of, of going to the community college uh, in, increased your vibrancy. You worked at the U of O bookstore, which kept you connected to a different type of clients, uh, community, supported your intellectual growth and development. Uh, so at some point you were working in retail and you decided that you needed to do better and make some more money. And so you took a chance on driving a bus, applied for a part-time job at 34 years of age. And your goal was to drive a bus part-time and be a financial planner part-time. And so you were working that goal. You were working towards those goals. You were working that plan until an opportunity with the planning department came up. You risked, you applied, and above someone who had the experience, above someone who had been working in the department, you were selected. Did they ever tell you why you were selected? Um, Mainly because I had the computer experience from being at the junior college and they um they liked my approach to the work i think they weren't 
quite as happy with their their past um, worker. I think that's important, especially for people in leadership, especially young women in leadership, especially if they're a stay-at-home mom coming out of that season of their life, to not give up on themselves, to not believe the dismissiveness from some particular events, to keep applying yourself to learning, to keep applying yourself to the process, to apply for positions you doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter what the conditions are because maybe they don't want that person there anyway. <laughs> and you won't know that. If yeah. <laughs> and so you have some legitimate skills that interested yeah. them. They, they appreciated your approach to the work at hand. And that you said that laid the building blocks for what your career would become. And you found out you like making radical change, changes, plural. And it's okay to... Uh, try out new things, to discover new things, to risk failure in these new things. And lo and behold, here you are now the executive director of South Lane Wills Incorporated because of this amazing journey of risk and learning and overcoming the obstacles. I don't know, didn't, didn't, didn't your mama and daddy, I'm going to tell a little joke here, but uh, <laughs> didn't they tell you getting married young might lead to pregnancy and things might change? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you dropped out of school. You're an accomplished athlete. You had big goals. You got pregnant. It was an easy decision for you. Said for you said to stay home and raise your children. So your leadership journey, Ruth, it goes all the way back to those high school years of academics and athletics and planning and physical conditioning, mental conditioning. Uh, to going to college, you had big plans, big expectations, big dreams, things changed. It was okay. You adjusted, you accepted what it was, you kept giving it your best. And that's what I see in this ongoing leadership theme of your, of your life. You keep making adjustments to the things that present themselves to you and you keep learning and you keep striving and you keep adjusting and you stay in the fight and doesn't mean it's not scary and it doesn't mean it's not hard, but you don't give up. And this is what this year long project of women in leadership is about, because there's young women that are going to hear this tonight. They're going to hear it later on, watch it later on, listen to it on podcast format. And they're going to say, I can do that, too. Mm -hmm. And, I can and they need to. It, it made a difference for me because it took people often. Um, seeing what I didn't see for myself and saying, Ruth, you could do that, or I'll help you do that. And, or if I fail, they were, Hey, let's give it a go again. And I didn't want that uh, learning process to just uh, be for myself. I have most of what I do in my interaction at work, as well as in the community, is I coach and, and mentor. And I like to coach people through um, where are you at now and where do you want to get to with your skills. And it can be interpersonal skills. I'm often asked, you know, um, how, can I, how can I lead a meeting like you do, Ruth? Or how... Is it possible that you can uh, manage this um, project? I really wish I knew how to do that with volunteers. I 
just bring them alongside or I'll go alongside them and say, okay, I'll just coach you through it. Here's what you're doing. And I didn't suggest doing something a little differently. And we, uh, I love that. And that's really why I thought about becoming a teacher <laughs> when I was going back to school, uh, but decided uh, the format worked better in adult learning and it, it works very well with business because you're, you're coaching all the time and I have an opportunity to mentor uh, young people and especially young women. Uh, when I am around a young person, I uh, really encourage and try to support and if they're uh, if we develop a rapport and they're open to some um, development, we pursue it. And it's so rewarding to watch that development uh, through relationship. And I really got to experience that when I became a Rotarian. Uh, that was encouraged as part of my role here as an executive director was to become part of a uh, community service group. And so Rotary was the one I joined. And I didn't have that opportunity when I was in previous jobs. So it was a new world for me. So I step in, sign up, don't really know much about Rotary. Um, and within a month, I'm, I'm the interact advisor at the high school, uh, have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I honestly didn't think the kids would like me because I wasn't cool. I wasn't, uh, <laughs> I wasn't fun. I wasn't your, yeah, what I thought were the cool moms. I just, I'll just put it that way. So, but I, I they needed somebody and the role was, I, I, well, I'll say I aligned with the purpose of the program, which was to develop leadership skills and opportunities for youth. And I was all in for that. And I was willing to figure out how to relate to teenagers <laughs> um, as best I could. And what I found was they cared that you showed up. And so I made a commitment to them and they knew it because I showed up every week and I got involved and I didn't try to tell them what to do. They were the ones leading and I was just there to support. And that was so much fun because I did interesting things I never would have done <laughs> on my own. And the kids let me come along and they let me help them. And what the young women saw was someone who was in the community, who was uh, involved in a lot of different things, who was investing her time with them. And we did that for four years. And I took a break when I became a Rotary president. And then right now I'm still involved with that program on the district level, 
uh, so I can stay engaged with the program because I really believe in it because I have seen kids transformed when they are allowed to be supported and given a chance to try and work with each other. And one thing I'll give a plug for is there's a program called Ryla. It's a camp for a week. And what that does for these young people is they learn about themselves in a very respectful manner and environment. They learn about each other and they learn about group dynamics because it, one of the things I think one of your other uh, interviewees mentioned was you're not much of a leader if there's no followers. And I was impressed with this program teaching the individuals that there's times to be a leader and it's always just as important to be a follower and there's value to both. And I just went, yes, that's, that's it in a nutshell is um, you can, you, if you've got both of those working in a group, there's no stopping it. So I thought I'd share that. <laughs> Well, no, that's really good because all that is the ongoing, not just your development, stepping in to interact. And what you said was you aligned yourself with the purpose of the program. And once you aligned yourself with the purpose of the program, everything became, began to fall into place and that the teenagers cared because you showed up every week. Mm -hmm. Once they realized that you care, they invited you, they asked you to participate. And you notice that kids are transformed when they are being supported. And that is not only living your leadership philosophy, but it's modeling your leadership philosophy, leadership philosophy in such a way that it's now being replicated in those around you. Yeah. So we have about 15 minutes left. Ruth, I want to talk about your recent run for state representative district 12 for city of springfield you made an attempt your first four-way foray into politics you took on a very experienced gentleman great support group uh, great support seasoned experienced leader community servant politician and john lively Anyone that knows John knows he's a decent man. He, he cares deeply. And you decided that there were some things going on at the state capitol, decisions being made at the state level, that you wanted to try to have an, an opportunity to speak to, the, to those things and to maybe do some, some things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. What was your mindset going into this, uh, th that opportunity of running for elected office? Back in 2019, I was trying to understand what was going on nationally and in our state. I wasn't a political person. I wasn't following things uh, closely. I was just kind of an observer, but I was getting concerned. And my thoughts were, I wanna do something. Uh, I'm not a good spectator. I never have been. I, I need to get into the game. And so I said this out loud 
to um, a friend I had recently gotten to know, and I didn't know her background. And what she said to me was, you should run for office. And I was stunned by that. I was just, that just wasn't even, wasn't even on my radar. And I asked why, and she gave her reasons. And as I, I initially dismissed it. I thought, oh yeah, right. But then I thought further and I went, yeah, okay. And then I had to figure out run for what? And my challenge was I live in Springfield, but I work in Cottage Grove. I can't, I can't run for any office in Cottage Grove, even though I'm very much involved, but I can in Springfield. Well, then how can I run in Springfield if my job's in Cottage Grove? for some of the offices that are very demanding. And I, I don't invest in something unless I can really give it my all. So I researched and I saw the position of, of state representative and I went perfect because, it, because of the scope of the position, it would allow me to uh, benefit both my rural world and the urban uh, because it's a statewide position. So I looked at that and I went, okay. But the question that came in my mind was, am I qualified? You know, I, I haven't run for anything. I've served in a lot of positions, but don't you have to kind of be a city councilor or something before you do this uh, type of race? So I had some friends who were in the political world and I trusted their judgment and I sat down with them and I explained to them what I was thinking and their feedback was um, surprising. I didn't expect them to say, you are qualified. In fact, you're very qualified. And I, you know, when people say that to you, um, and you're not expecting it, again, you're still, okay, you got you to kind of give me a reasons and more information. So I, I started exploring it. Well, the campaign, the, the first, uh, the primary was within five months. <laughs> and so I, I said, you know what? I feel God's put it on my heart to do this and I need to step in. So I filed about days before it, the deadline. And then I started learning what I needed to do. And I, I kept trusting that there would be the resources that I would need. And I had to say the the biggest benefit was there was nobody to run against except the incumbent in the primary. It was mainly the general election that I needed to really work towards. But I was learning. I was learning while I was doing plus a full-time job and it was exciting. It was fun, um, frustrating at times. But what I learned is I had a bigger network of relationships than I 
realized. I knew I had done these things in my world of lane transit district. Um, I knew how much of a, a relationship building I'd done in Cottage Grove, but I didn't know if it bridged or, or if it had, or how to reach out to it. And I have to say with COVID, my opportunity to do the FaceTime, to be in front of groups was killed. <laughs> so I had to learn Facebook and I was not a Facebook person. And I also had to learn to say yes to things that terrified me. I was, you interviewed me, Mark, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, that was, that was scary. And I, I also did a television interview. I, I was interviewed by a newspaper reporter. I was on uh, different um, forums. I had to think on my feet. I had to uh, be willing to risk and to uh, possibly look foolish. And I stepped up every time. I said yes every time. And I was excited with the process to where I got to the end of the process. I was exhausted. I, um, but I was, I saw it as so worth my time. It taught me a lot about myself. And it also taught me a lot about the generosity of community that they didn't expect me to be a perfect candidate. They didn't expect me to, uh, they weren't looking for pedigree. Uh, I was, I was surprised, mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. And what part of what I wanted to do was also encourage other people to take on this challenge that I wanted to be able to say, I'm not your uh, polished politician who's done this multiple times and look what I've done and you can do it too. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you'll win <laughs> when you do it. And it's not, uh, I didn't walk away feeling like I failed and nobody gave me that message. Um, there, if anything, it was a message of, uh, you were brave, you were, um, you were, uh, very reflective of the leadership we want to see out there advocating for our needs and you kept to the issues. You didn't get nasty and, um, that's, that's not my style. So I'm glad that wasn't um, needed in the process and that nobody felt that's what makes you a leader is you've got to be tearing down your opponent. Uh, because in my world of what I've experienced in uh, is I'm, I'm going to have to work with this person at some point in the future. And there's to burn a bridge, to uh, create an enemy is never helpful. And I uh, think that's what's important with leadership is uh, you can be full of integrity and you can also be honest and um, 
willing to address tough things, but you can do it in a respectful manner. And I love working in community groups when we're able to do that successfully and we move forward. So with campaigning, yay, <laughs> on to the next one. <laughs> well, I remember reaching out to you and you were not very enthusiastic initially about wanting to respond to my request to interview. And I know that you spoke to a mutual friend. Who is this guy? What does he want? <laughs> and they were said, oh, he's okay. You can talk to him. And I think it's important for the leadership journey and this leadership expression in this conversation that we do have to risk and we, we have to be willing to potentially put ourselves in a position where we might have, a, have to be forced to have a difficult conversation and trust that uh, not everyone's out to harm us. <laughs> and that, you know, I, I run for public office here in Springfield. Uh, <laughs> City Council years ago, and I, I was I had to run against someone who had the pedigree, and, and people kept. I remember in the newspaper they kept calling it a friendly race because I like you was not looking to have anything but a friendly race. And so I think it's really important what you said regarding in the end we do have to work together as a community, we have to work together as as um, leaders, and it's important that we keep those bridges of communication open. Uh, for the ongoing work. It's just an event. It's a race. If you win, great. If you don't, life goes on. Yep. If you do win, things <laughs> will change, but life goes on. And we have to go about the business of taking care of business. Mm -hmm. And what would you say, Ruth, to aspiring young women who need to make some changes, want to make some changes, but aren't quite sure what to do? One of the things that was invaluable to me was learning myself. And so the more uh, a young person can look at themselves and take advantage of those tools that um, teach them about their strengths and what are their um, weaknesses and what are their tendencies and what are their talents and accept them and work with them and not trying to change themselves so much because it's that uniqueness that they bring to um, any involvement with people and a project is, is what is needed. And the other tool is to stay curious about themselves as well as the people around them and the opportunities in front of them and to say yes as much as you can. Um, I reached a point of frustration in my career where I felt like I was stagnant and I wanted to bail. <laughs> and I, um, I invited a mentor into my life um, and kind of was honest about what I dreamed of and what I wanted to do. And she cautioned me about bailing and running to do something different. She said, you know, lay the groundwork, take advantage of this time, learn all you can from where you are and plan for your future and be ready for it, but don't do it from an emotional base. And that was what, I, uh, what helped me from sabotaging 
uh, situation and it did do exactly what she had um, suggested. And the last thing that I would um, encourage a leader to do is always find uh, a way to stay true to your own integrity at, while honoring others. And that will, will serve you well to work with diverse people and cultures and um, feel comfortable in, in new places. This has been such a, an enjoyable conversation because I have so much other things you've said, you shared with me some incredible history <laughs> uh, prior in the different bios, the different timelines. And you are such an accomplished individual and I feel like we're just now touching the, pin, the, the outside edges of who you are as a person. We're touching the outside edges of the, the breadth and depth of your experiences on an individual, personal, and professional level. And so I feel bad a little bit, like we were <laughs> running out of time and we can't continue. But, uh, you know, this has been really uh, inspiring to hear more of your story tonight in a different way because we have interviewed now a couple of times and you've been on a couple of different forums. I've watched your growth and development in the campaign process. I watched how more relaxed you were around answering questions, uh, being able to formulate the responses in ways that you knew were, it's, it's not that you were, you were always sincere, but you were able to fully grasp more what uh, the mm. issues were mm. and you kept making yourself available. And now here we are in this segment of women in leadership and there's just more of this rich uh, history of who you are as a leader, as a woman in leadership. And I feel like we're just touching the outside edges <laughs> of that and that there's just so much more depth to it. So I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. I, I feel honored. I appreciate that. And uh, you have really been that catalyst to bring it out. So I thank you for that. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, we, ha we have had with us this evening Ruth Linos. She is the executive director of South Lane Wheels. South Lane Wheels Incorporated. And she's, she is, uh, they're located in Cottage Grove. Thank you for participating in the Women in Leadership series. I apologize for the, I keep confusing those two words. I'm sorry. But thank you for your leadership story. Thank you for your leadership history. Thank you for such a pleasant, pleasant, inspiring, and motivating uh, testimony tonight of who you are and the parts of the, your life and leadership journey we were able to share. Uh, Ruth, it's been my honor once again and my great pleasure to have this conversation with you tonight. Thank you so much, Mark. Looking forward to future ones. Very good. You have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.